So we're living in a time in our country that's divided, probably perilously so. Many of our ideas and deepest concerns seem absolutely irreconcilable. Recently, I've been trying to suggest things um, and introduce possibilities that may make the vast chasms less overwhelming. We are, as we, as has been mentioned a number of times in our six or eight week segment of studying the Jewish and Christian heritage um, and the roots for Unitarian Universalism. Last week I shared part of my own spiritual story and journey, uh, which included a time of working to divest myself of all the teachings that I had grown up with so that I could find out what my beliefs were and find out what at my core was undeniable um, for me. And I ended up with explaining that I had found myself re-engaging with old language that I had found uh, uh, concepts and words that I had thrown away that had stopped being useful for me. I'm re-engaging with them in a way that's completely an absolutely different understanding, but using the same language and concepts. Um, then I said that I would share some of the shifts in understanding that I'm encountering in, in unexpected places today and next week. Um, this morning I wanted to share some perhaps more interesting ideas, perspectives, and understandings about the person of Jesus and the concept of the Christ. Um, a number of things that I'll share have been gleaned from reading books uh, by Franciscan priests Richard Rohr, um, an Episcopal priest, writer, and retreat leader Cynthia Bourgeau, and from various resources in the unity tradition. Um, we have unity partners and friends here in Shreveport. Um, to somewhat repeat and underscore a one-sentence overview, let's keep as separate elements Jesus the person and the whole subject of Christ. Okay? Um, Christ is not and never has been Jesus' last name. <laughs> Cynthia Bourgeau uh, wrote that the British writer G.K. Chesterton reportedly said, Christianity isn't a failure, it just hasn't been tried yet. So let's walk around in some unorthodox shoes for a while. And I can tell you right now that I will not have time to share anything near what I want to because it's already time for the service to end and I'm just starting my sermon. And we have events this afternoon. Um, nor could I, if I had the whole time, tell you everything I want to tell you. Uh, I'll try very hard to make sense of it and draw things together somewhat before I finish. Okay, so the person of Jesus. Now, we have somebody who had an effect so profound on people 
of all descriptions and strata and inclination that their lives and understandings of life were changed immediately and for, forever. All of that was prior to whether they're, you know, the crucifixion event or anything that happened after that. Okay, so there was a there was somebody who was walking around, you know, hanging out with the people that were not socially acceptable and still swaying so much influence that the Roman government, the soldiers, professional men, lawyers and bankers and CPAs, laborers, fishermen, carpenters, and naturalists, soldiers, outcasts, foreigners, even blind people could see in him something profoundly significant. So what was that about? Often I will talk about people like Desmond Tutu and Gandhi who carry with them a palpable peace that affects the people they encounter. So let's just, let's just think for a second the, the, of the possibility, and I mentioned this earlier in the adult class, that evolutionarily, a couple of thousand years ago, whether it was Jesus and one person or Jesus and Buddha and the other avatars who arose in a similar era, there was something in humankind that became capable of compassion and expanding our circles farther than they had reached before. Prior to that time, the organizing principles of rules were necessary so that, the, so that larger and larger and larger groups could coexist. So just the possibility, and, and taking into consideration that a couple of thousand years is absolutely nothing in the face of evolutionary time. So if a couple more pop up along the way, we're doing good. I mean, there are a number of people in this church who will readily say they are followers of Jesus. And why not? After all, Jesus taught love. Loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. But all three synoptic gospels say that. Um, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Even the most despised. That wasn't an idea that had floated around a lot, I don't think, before that time, historically. So, um, he taught radical inclusion by speaking to and spending time with those that would be socially fatal to hang out with. A female stranger, for starters, known as the woman at the well, who was also a Samaritan, um, 
who was even one of the, you know, the, one of the most despised. He dealt with tax collectors and hotheads, Roman soldiers, and, a, and allegedly a woman of bad reputation. And you can decide whether you think that's true or not. The bad reputation part, not the woman. Um, but what's not to like? A great deal of what we know about the man and his story was intentionally and methodically destroyed after the Emperor Constantine insisted on the organization of councils from the different schools of Christianity around Egypt and the Middle East and uh, the Mediterranean altogether, they had to go into a room. They couldn't come out until they agreed on what they were going to teach and hold as true. I mean, he, did, he didn't lock them in the room, but they couldn't quit meeting until they came to agreement. Those things that the texts that backed up what they agreed upon became the canon. Now, you, we, can, we can accept that those were inspired Providence or, or happenstance or fate or whatever you want to call it made it so that those are the ones that, have pro- that we have been processing for the last 1,500 years. But, uh, but things that were, were supposed to be destroyed because they didn't agree with those teachings have begun to surface. The Nagamati Library, which you may have heard of, Um, is some documents that were stashed by some monks in the uh, monastic school of Athanasius in Egypt who was in that period when things were supposed to be destroyed and they cherished these books too much to destroy them and they stuck them in the ground in jars and they were found at the end of World War II. There are pieces of the text missing, and there are a lot of things in them that would not align well with some of the canonical scripture. Um, But one of the, I'm trying to share where it way too much. One of the things that I find fascinating, and I talked about it again this morning, was that in the Gospel of Thomas, Peter is held up as the one that wants to make the church about the rules. And in the Gospel of Mary, a lot Jesus is quoted as saying a whole lot of things that really open up individual sanctity, divinity. God in everybody. It opens up the mystical and esoteric parts of Christianity. But so if there if there were all these parts of the teachings that were destroyed, there are major parts about the life of this man we don't know. And what's happening now is that in light of that, and in light of Syriac studies, I mean, there there are a number of new disciplines that have come about since the 1960s that are shining light on, on ideas that it's very possible 
Jesus of Nazareth was teaching to people who couldn't grasp them at the time and that are more fitting to our stage of development now. Y'all don't have to agree with me. This is, but, but what I'm finding is in a number of Christian traditions, the inclusion of those more expansive views of what Christ is, which is maybe the presence of God that is in everybody, what Unitarian Universalists would call the inherent worth and dignity, what Thomas Merton would call that spot that has never been wounded. What the Hebrew Testament would call humankind being made in the image and likeness of God, if there's something that's the beginning force and organizing principle of the universe, and we call that God, if, it, if there is something, anything, that has a benevolent arc to it in history, in time, in our development, we can call that God too. If we are in any way in the image of that, what we would be in the image of is something without image and something that's not imaginable. So why can't there be at the seed of every human being a place that's unchanging, that's reson a resonant thread throughout the creation of humankind and development of humankind. And why isn't it, uh, why could it not be that we are becoming more aware of that as our brains grow? So that, you know, our lizard brain doesn't have us just reacting in survival instinct, but we are becoming capable, actually developing the human capacity to be more compassionate. And if Jesus was one of the first to manifest that awareness that humankind is capable of, why would he not be worth following? So much. So I wanted, I'm gonna read a page of stuff. And then I'll kind of let y'all go after that. Um, this is from the unity tradition. I want to demonstrate that other faith traditions are saying this too. And some of them are Christian. In class this morning, we were talking about the, that there are a number of denominations that are becoming more inclusive and are broadening their understanding of the teachings of this man. And if Unitarians stay rigid in their rigid views of what has, has been rigid people, we're holding up the process. So, from the Unity tradition. Uh, this is from a man named Raymond Teague, and it's from a Unity website, uh, unity.org. Let's look at the words Jesus, Jesus Christ, and the Christ. I'm going to read quickly. Jesus is the man, the historical person in the New Testament times. Jesus is our way-shower or elder brother who provides a direction and an example for all humankind to follow. Where did my page go? 
Christ is a title added to Jesus' name. The word comes from the Greek Christos, meaning anointed. Jesus was so called because he was considered anointed by God. Jesus recognized his own divinity. But more important, he recognized the divinity of all of creation. He knew that God anoints each person. You anoint my head with oil and repeatedly directs us to recognize our own divine nature, our own God nature, our own sacred spark. You are the light of the world. Paul adds to this idea of Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Christ is the presence of God with which each person is anointed at creation. It's the eternal essence of God that is our true spiritual nature. It can be called the spark of God that ignites the human flame. Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, Unity's co-founders, were clear and succinct, succinct in their realization of the Christ within. Charles states Christ is the mind of God individualized. And Myrtle says Christ is the life principle within each of us. And then just one little excerpt reading from a, a Richard Rohr meditation. Um, this is a summary. Well, Jesus is the union of human and divine in space and time, and that Christ is the eternal union of matter and spirit from the beginning of time. The cosmic Christ is divine presence pervading all of creation since the very beginning. My father, Francis of Assisi, intuited this presence and lived his life in awareness of it. Later, John Duns Scotus put this intuition into a philosophical form. For Duns Scotus, the Christ mystery was the blueprint of reality from the very start. Tillard de Chardin uh, brought this insight into our modern world. God's first idea was, uh -oh, let's see, uh, uh, was to become manifest and to pour it out. The Big Bang is now our scientific name for that first idea. And Christ is our theological name. Both are about love and beauty exploding outward in all directions. Creation is indeed the body of God. What else could it be uh, when you think of it? And that's all from this Catholic priest who is a prolific writer and a very influential person, you know, in this nation certainly in, I'm sure, in the Franciscan order. I now think of the notion of Christ as that sacred spark that never was wounded, is unquenchable, always perfectly whole, peaceful, and immeasurably precious that's inside every one of us. The part of humankind that's unchanging and share the image of likeness, you know, with what's beyond our imagining. I think it's very likely that we were introduced to this a couple thousand years ago. I think we're coming along. But all of this all of this increased capacity, and evolution doesn't happen all at once for everybody. 
although there can be quick changes when things build for a long time. Um, but if we are nonetheless introduced to deeper possibilities for compassion, inclusion, equality, cooperation, and living more fully in a deeper way than we understand how to live, over your life, haven't you begun to see more layers to things? Isn't it possible that process could continue through time for humankind and the development of the species? It all has to be it has to be predicated on love. And that's what we say we're about. So maybe the words Jesus and Christ won't have such a knee-jerk response from you. If you just give a little time to think about how else, what else they might explain. Let us stand with love and listen for the changing winds 